Today's show is brought to you by Lightning Pod. If you have a podcast, you know that it's a lot of work. But Lightning Pod can help. We've been working with their founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year now, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. So if you're starting a new podcast or you want to make your existing podcast better, you should get in touch with Eric. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. Hey, everyone. This is Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Ever since Richard and I took over the Smart Home Show, we've been doing a yearly episode where we focus on how we use smart home technology in our own homes. On today's episode, we're going to go through an update on what has changed in Richard's home in the last year, as well as talk about some of the devices he's still testing and thinking about. It was a fun conversation that I hope you enjoy, get a few ideas from, and then try out and implement yourself. Hey everyone, it's Richard from the Digital Media Zone. Welcome to the Smart Home Show. I'm joined by my co-host, Adam Justice from ConnectSense. Adam, hi. Hey, Richard. Good to hear from you. I know. It's been a while again. We're in the summer. Things are slow. But today, we're going to revisit how we're using smart home technology in our homes. We did this twice before. First, when we talked about what we use. Then last year, we did an update about this time last year. It's a good time to do this because news is slow during the summer. And I'm going to go first again. We'll take a look at what's changed. And then next week, we'll talk about what Adam has been up to with smart home stuff in his home. Sounds good. But before we get started, as per usual, we have a question to open our show. So question for Richard is, you know, in the post-COVID-ish world. <laughs> Have you eaten at a restaurant yet? And was it worth it? I was wondering if you were going to put any sort of explanation on that question. Because just listening to this question 10 years from now, some people are like, what do you mean? Have you eaten at a restaurant yet? What are you talking about? <laughs> yeah. Yes, I have. And I have some mixed thoughts about it. So my first time out post-vaccination was to an indoor-only dining establishment. And it was before all the restrictions had been lifted in the town where I was. And yet, I think maybe five of the staff members at the restaurant had masks and everybody else and all the clientele were unmasked the entire time. And as my first dive back in, that was a little bit nerve-wracking for me. I was not expecting that. Yeah. So understandable. Yeah. Was it worth it? It was the Capitol Grill. So it was really good. And it was with friends that we haven't seen in months. So the whole experience overall, though stressful, was quite nice. How about you? I've done a little bit of restaurant eating. I'm with you. Like, it's still a little bit uncomfortable and you kind of catch yourself and you, it feels very normal. And then you're like, I should probably go wash my hands before I eat something I wouldn't normally, you know, rush to the not a germaphobe pre pandemic, but, you know, just a little bit more aware. I mean, I guess for context, we were pretty, very, very conservative. 
because we have some family members with some health issues. So yeah, it's an easing back in. I would say the bigger one for me, I'm a part of an entrepreneurs group and we had a party both indoor and outdoor venue and everybody was unmasked for that party. And that was even more kind of jarring just being around a lot of people. Knowing that group of people, I would guess that 90 plus percent of those people were vaccinated. So I was fairly comfortable, but still takes some getting used to for sure. Yeah, it does. It's a weird experience. I'm going on a plane next week for the first time. So Um, I've already done that and I felt very safe. So, yeah, but give yourself some grace and, uh, you know, wear your mask and uh, just do what you got to do to feel comfortable. Of course. Of course. All right. Well, if you want to submit a question for us to open the show, you can send us a question on Twitter using the hashtag Ask Adam and Richard. All right. Well, let's dive in. So I'm going to kind of break this up into a couple sections. First, I'm going to talk about overall projects I've been doing around the house and then just some basic additions and changes in my smart home tech And then after our break, we'll come back and I'll talk like I did last year about things I've been testing and reviewing. You may remember that when we were last talking about Homebridge stuff with our guests that we had on specifically to kind of school us on Homebridge and Hoobs and all of that, I was still in this weird limbo between Hoobs and Homebridge And I have since moved completely off of Hoobs and just done everything in Homebridge now. The Homebridge experience, I don't think, is as nice as Hoobs, but more stuff is inherently designed to work with Homebridge than Hoobs. So if you want verified plugins that work the way that you get an interface to customize them and everything, you're in better shape with Homebridge generally than you are for Hoobs because there's a broader selection of stuff that's been verified. And everything that I was working with before on Hoobs works great on Homebridge. So I didn't have any problems there. And what do you run your Homebridge instance on? Ah, good question. So I had actually played with a Raspberry Pi to set up Hoobs before, and I'd never done that. And in fact, just this morning, realized that that Raspberry Pi had still been running until the UPS that powered it just kind of failed on me several hours before we started recording. So I had never really unplugged that thing. It was still there. Not good server practice for security reasons. Take servers offline that you're not using. Don't follow my example. But I am running Homebridge on my Synology. So I have a Synology NAS that has a bunch of different stuff on it. I run my wireless network monitoring stuff on that. I run Plex off of that. I run channels DVR off of that, just a whole bunch of different stuff. And this is just one more thing in there. I think I have it set up in a Docker container and I followed somebody's very, very good online instructions on YouTube for how to do that. So it was barely easy. And I 
have completely failed to follow Mark's advice, and I am all in on Homebridge. I am headfirst. I have replaced pretty much all of the smart things, automations that I was previously relying upon after Stringify went away, and now doing all of that in automations in my home app or in a home kit app of some sort. So that stuff's all moved over now, including using setting up my Pico remotes and all sorts of things like that. So it's been a pretty complete move. And so far, it's been pretty solid. I haven't had any real major problems with it. Yeah, that, you, you skipped ahead to what my question was going to be, which was, do you find it to be pretty stable? So stable, in fact, that I am now really only considering third-party devices for my home that I know I can get a good plug-in for <laughs> so that I can include it in my HomeKit experience. I mean, I don't think you call these out specifically, but can you give some examples of what you're running on HomeBridge? What what types of devices? Yeah, so the Ring and Nest plugins, I think, are probably the best-known plugins and highly, highly reliable. I am continually impressed by them. The developers are incredibly responsive. That's the other thing that we've talked about in the past. Developers are just jumping on stuff if you ask them for uh, support or to fix a problem or to add a feature. It's really kind of incredible. The ability to use Pico remotes to control absolutely anything without having to do my wonky little trick of proxying the remote with a lamp controller. That's just wonderful. Absolutely wonderful. Now, I had to move to the pro version of the Lutron Smart Bridge to do that. It's a little bit more expensive and harder to find these days, but that made it worthwhile for me. And I, I highly recommend that as well, because if I haven't mentioned, Pico remotes are awesome. I was going to say, you're you're living your dream. Your dream is alive and well. I am. Pico remotes for everything. I am. Absolutely. And for a time, I had been using a plugin for the MyQ garage opener, which allowed me not only to open my garage from HomeKit, but then in our car that has CarPlay, as you drive up, it would sense that you were home and it would automatically display the open garage door button on the car, which was awesome. And that was until on our discussion with Mark, he was suggesting that maybe those plugins that are actually asking you to put your password in, in clear text, you maybe shouldn't be using. Especially the ones that, you know, give access to your home. Right. Right. Yeah. See, there was that aspect of it too. Yeah. For my MyQ instance, I use their like official HomeKit bridge too expensive thing. And it mostly doesn't work, but it, it at least does the like um, the status piece, which to mm -hmm. me is the more important of the two. Yeah, I can see that. All right. So another big project I had taken on was redoing the under cabinet lights. And we had very hot halogen under cabinet lights like many homes do. I think it's pretty much a tie between those and the horrible leftover fluorescent tubes under some cabinets. 
And I wanted to replace those with light strips that would just not put off as much heat and then maybe give us some options in terms of dimming and white color temperature and stuff like that. And so this entailed buying rails that have diffusers on them so that you're not just putting, sure, you could easily stick a light strip with the sticky tape underneath your cabinets. But if you do that, then if you have any sort of polished surface underneath it, you're just going to see a reflection of these bright, annoying lights in your countertops. So if you're doing this, you really need to look at a solution to diffuse that. And the best is that many companies make these metal aluminum rails that have diffusers on them that allow you to kind of recess the strip into the rail and then it has an air gap and uh, will diffuse the light nicely. And you can still tell that there are lights in it, but it's not that blinding light that you would otherwise be seeing on like a polished marble surface or something. Yeah, that's a good tip. I think I would have been more the sticky tape just get it done side of things. But yeah, that's a good tip for everybody that uh, may want to do a project like this. Now, I had been evaluating a bunch of different options for this. I had looked at Sangled. I had looked at Sylvania. I looked at some generic LED strips because God knows you can buy just a whole roll of LED lights pretty cheap on Amazon from any random vendor. The question is, how good is the light going to be? And ultimately, I concluded that I wanted them to be as bright and as reliable and as consistent in color as everything else that I had around, which is Philips Hue. So I used the way too expensive Philips Hue strip lights. It required about one and two thirds of a strip to do the areas that I had. And they were also on separate wall switches. So that was a little bit of a challenge for me too. So I solved that problem by using, this was before Hue had microcontrollers, if they've even come out yet, the little micro modules. But I bought Insteon micro modules that I then wired into the wall switch. So now <laughs> I can use Insteon turn the lights on and off and then use the Hue app or use some sort of other controller to adjust the color temperature when I want to do that. And are these white and color temperature controllable only or can you do color with these as well? You can do color as well. I don't even think they make a white only strip, at least Hue doesn't. So it's their full color strip. That's part of the reason that they're so expensive. But you know, they're good. They are reliable. I did, however, learn that you really, really, really shouldn't force them around hard corners. Because if you twist them too hard, you will break something and make part of your light strip unusable. Did you find that out the, the easy way or the hard way? I found that out the learning way. So <laughs> <laughs> I like your phrasing. I like your phrasing. This is how we learn. Exactly. Exactly. And from that job, I did have a little 
additional portion of strip that I wasn't using. And I found that you can buy connectors on Amazon to then kind of splice together unused pieces of Philips Hue strips. I did that and extended the strip that I had put under our breakfast bar last year, kind of extended that around to where the dog food bowls are on the side. So now I am fully light stripped in the kitchen, except for a glass cabinet that I also want to put lights in. That's probably going to be this year's project. Yeah, that's a good, uh, that's a good one. I have, uh, we'll talk about mine last time, but uh, next time, but I think I have a, a good potential in this vein as well, because I have a bunch of broken under cabinet lights and stuff that doesn't work and all that. So there's definitely some opportunity for this type of solution in, in my house. Yeah. And now that, that, but again, I don't know yet if the Hue microcontroller ever came out yet in the U.S., but when that is out, that'll make that option really interesting, right? Because that gives you a lot more control potentially. Anyway, let's move on to other things around the house. Thermostats. One project I have been putting off is replacing some of my old thermostats that are only connected to the radiators, so I have thermostats that control both the radiators and the air conditioning in some rooms. But in other rooms, since the air conditioning zones actually cover more space than the heating zones do, some rooms just have heating thermostats. And those heating thermostats are just two wire. There's just red and white. So there's no real power going to that that I can leech off of for any sort of smart thermostat. And the only way that I could do this was to inject power into that by installing some sort of transformer down in the basement into the line before it came up to the wall, which kind of terrified me because the idea of putting power into the line that then also goes into the electronics of the boiler itself just struck me as, I don't know, Foolhardy? <laughs> I recall doing something similar when I put in my Ecobees. And yeah, when you start messing with wires in your furnace or, you know, that level of a device, like, yeah, I'm not super comfortable with that. I think in my case, I ended up having an extra wire that was in there that wasn't being used that I was just able to put power on. Nice. But yeah, definitely outside of my comfort zone when it comes to <laughs> those types of things. Yeah, yeah. So I followed the instructions. I got the power line in there and finally installed a Nest thermostat in the guest room. And the importance for doing that is that the heat in there also controls the heat in my office. So I wanted some way of being able to more intelligently monitor the heat where I work because I can already do that with the AC. Now I just need to switch which thermostat my sensor in my office is listening to <laughs> or working with, I should say, depending on what season it is. So you're all in on Nest thermostats then? You use those throughout the house? I have one Ecobee left that I thought died, of course, the weekend I was away, but it didn't actually die. There was a problem at 
the unit and the air conditioner itself was not going on. So the Ecobee wasn't getting power. That was almost an expensive troubleshooting problem because we almost ended up buying a new thermostat thinking the Ecobee was dead. Yeah, I feel like this is an opportunity where I feel like one of either one of one of those has some features where they'll like tell you about that, but I don't feel like that works very well. Like this should be something smart thermostats do. Like there should be a set expectation what is expected based on the behavior in your home. And when something's out of whack, and, you know, it's asking for cool and it's not getting cooler, you know, those kinds of things, I would expect better features there. Yeah, I would too. And I've had problems with Ecobee in the past where it wasn't cooling, but it said it was. And I ended up having to replace that. And when I replaced it, I didn't buy another Ecobee. Let's be really clear about that. So I ended up getting a Nest. And Nest does a better job at that. In my experience, I've found that Nest thermostats do identify if there's if they detect a wiring problem or some other problem. Obviously, it depends what the problem is, but... Yeah, I ripped out nests and put in Ecobees and <laughs> I was kind of always waiting for one of them to get like significantly better or put out like a new, you know, fancy model. And I just don't feel like that space has changed much. And I mean, my Ecobees are the original Ecobee twos. Like it's been, I don't know, seven years, eight years, six years, something like that. And I just feel like they're, I haven't seen anything super exciting in that space. Yeah. I like Nest for the overall experience. I think they look better. I think I like the interaction better. But I like your mindset around Homebridge, too, that that kind of changes things. Because that was one of the original drivers for me for picking Ecobee was I wanted a full HomeKit experience. And so, obviously, Comfort with Homebridge expands the available selection. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Now, this is a little weird thing, but we had this decorative oil lamp that had been converted to electricity probably, I don't know, 60, 70 years ago. So it just has one of those little lamp kits in it, and it's not really terribly well secured, but it's a candelabra bulb. And literally for decades now, I have been trying to find the right light for inside it to give some sort of decent lighting, but still have a flickering effect to it. Most old style flickering bulbs that you can buy give off no worthwhile light whatsoever. And most things that I've found that give off good light in terms of smart lighting didn't really have any sort of effect to address this. Until LifeX came out with a candelabra bulb that has a flame effect. So I bought that bulb and I started playing with it and ultimately ended up rejecting it. I found that the flame effect that it has felt pink instead of yellow, which was really weird. I didn't understand why it was so pink and I didn't like the color coming out of it. And the other thing that was kind of strange is that you actually had to enable it when the light went on. So if the light gets turned off and then later you 
turn the light on on a schedule. It's just going to turn on normal, and then you had to re-enable the effect, which kind of defeats the purpose of having something smart. So that product didn't work for me. I then tried the Hue White Ambiance Candelabra Light, and they have a flicker effect now out of the Hue Labs, I believe. It, it's still part of Hue Labs. And you can make any of their bulbs have like a flickering effect. And the white ambiance light didn't actually get warm enough. It was too white. Kind of the opposite problem of the color from the Lifex bulb. That one I didn't send back. I found another use for that. But then I ended up buying the Hue Color and White Ambience Candelabra bulb. And that is working great. So my recommendation from this experience is that if you're looking for bulbs that have a flame or flicker effect to them behind some sort of globe or what have you, don't even look at the white color tuning bulbs from Hue. They just don't get warm enough. You really need the color bulbs to get that effect right. Yeah, makes sense. You need some oranges, some reds, some yellows kind of tones to get that flame effect. Yep, exactly. Exactly. So while I'm talking about Hue, let's switch to outdoor lighting. I, while I mentioned the flicker effect from Hue Labs. They also heavily promoted last Halloween their living scenes, and they created a new living scene set for Halloween last year. This basically takes a series of colors and creates some different effects using whatever Hue lights that you have. And I thought, hey, it would be kind of fun around Halloween time to have all of the outdoor hue lights we have, we have the lily bulbs, have them just flicker with these different effects around Halloween time. And it just choked my hue system. It made pretty much anything else hue completely unresponsive. Not completely. Eventually it would respond. But the amount of talk that was going back and forth over Hughes Zigbee network was just so intense that normal commands were getting ignored or or cued so long that it made the rest of the house system unusable. Huh. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. So I would hope that at some point in the future, they look at a way of either making that less chatty, and maybe that was just more a factor of the effect that I had selected than anything else but or or maybe even look at offloading some of that to the bulbs themselves if they get to a point where you know the bulbs have some actual power in them like you know the lifex bulbs actually can remember things and do commands remotely, whereas the Hue Bulb needs the Hue Bridge to control them. Yeah, I would think, I mean, unless they've made a major architecture change in their bulbs, I mean, that's the kind of thing that requires an onboard processor of some sort. Right. You know, I would guess the LifeX ones probably use something with a 
small microprocessor, even some of the Wi-Fi chipsets we use have enough in there. But I would guess maybe the Hue stuff doesn't have that on board. All they have is a radio and some basic circuitry. So you can write all the enhancements in the world, but if you don't have something on board to run them, then that's going to remain a limitation. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I'd almost like a solution where you could have a way to maybe add multiple Hue bridges to fix a situation like that. I guess you could probably run a separate network, but that would be pretty complicated. But I love a, a way where you could sort of dedicate, I want this bridge to take care of this set of devices, but also cooperate in a broader ecosystem. Yeah, and they would have to have some sort of primary-secondary relationship there because many assistants can only really communicate with one instance of a vendor's bridge. Right. So that could be a challenge for them. But that's an interesting thought, though. I like that idea. Well, while I'm talking about the outdoor lighting and the lily lights, it's worth mentioning that I went online to the Hue website and ordered a replacement for my Lily power supply, which they replaced for free because there is a recall on some of the early Lily power supplies. So if you have some of the early Lily outdoor lights, I highly recommend that you look into getting uh, that replacement power supply because they had a problem where the outer case would crack and expose the interior to the elements. And you don't want that. Okay. Got to take care of that. While we're talking about a lot of Hue stuff, I know they just redid pretty extensively their app. I know you have lots of opinions when it comes to UI UX, but I don't know. Quick comment on thoughts on their new app. It's better. I don't think it's great yet, but it's better. And that's good. I think some of it is window dressing, but they did rethink how they present scenes and devices in a room in a manner that I believe is much more logical and consistent with what other applications are doing. Before, if you wanted to access and control anything specific in a room, you basically had to go into the room and then go into how it was currently set and then figure out which light specifically you wanted. And now lights themselves are cards that you can tap on and control individually if you want to. Yeah, I need to play around with that some more and uh, and see how that goes. Yeah, it's better. It's It's much, much better. I'm very happy with it. Now, not necessarily smart, but other things that I've been trying outside, I've wanted to get some sort of perimeter lights on my driveway, and I've looked into a variety of different options. I've looked into light strips. I've looked into, I I think it's Sylvania makes these little outdoor things you can spike in the ground every so often, and all these different solutions. My problem is I have a very, very long driveway, and... Anything that needs to get any sort of signal just really isn't going to work well. And getting power to the far side of the driveway is a little bit challenging for me as well. So 
I have ultimately ended up just getting solar lights that are designed to either screw into a dock or affix to a driveway or hard surface. And they're surprisingly bright and they do the job that I want them to do. They're not designed to be accent lighting. They're not designed to actually light up any sort of space. They're designed to help you know where the edge of the driveway is in the dark. And so for that purpose, I'm fairly happy that I didn't bother trying to do something smarter here. Yeah, gets the job done and uh, probably cheaper. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. I think last year I talked about putting in some built-in motion sensor switches. I'm a big fan of motion sensor switches. I had, when I first moved into this house, installed one into a switch in my mudroom. And since we've been living here, that gets false positives all the time. You just walk by the mudroom and the light would go on. And that's not what you want, really. So... I ultimately ended up changing that. I realized that the best way to handle that situation was to get a separate motion sensor and smart switches where the motion sensor is in a corner that cannot see outside of the space. So I'm an Insteon guy. I added two Insteon switches because it can be turned on from either way that you enter the mudroom. And then I put a sensor in the far corner that enables those switches, and it is uh, kind of perfect. It's working out exactly the way that I want it to, so I'm glad that I finally did that. All right, more Philips Hue, believe it or not. My local Philip, my local Philips store, wouldn't that be awesome? No, my, <laughs> <laughs> my local Home Depot had a ridiculous discount sale on third-generation Philips Hue bulbs. And it was right before Philips was converting all of their bulb offerings to also include Bluetooth. So you may remember they introduced Bluetooth a little over a year ago, and it was only on a certain couple of SKUs. They eventually expanded that to the whole line. And as that was happening, they were getting rid of the older third gen bulbs. Still really good bulbs, still work fine and as well as the new bulbs if you don't need Bluetooth. And I didn't care about Bluetooth. So I was able to get packs of like two color bulbs for, I think, if I remember correctly, it was like $30. I mean, it was ridiculous. That included a bridge. Nice. I ended up buying like three of these packs, keeping one extra bridge, selling the other two bridges on eBay, and ended up with six new Philips Hue bulbs that I used to replace first-gen Philips Hue bulbs. Anyone remember Philips Hue Green? It was sickly. It was really, really bad in the first-generation bulbs. They just couldn't do green. And so the new bulbs give me a full color range, and I feel like I got my money's worth out of the first ones. You know, they serve their purpose. They got me hooked on Philips Hue. There you go. Yeah. I mean, anytime there's a good sale on something like that that you're going to use anyways, might as well take advantage of that. 
I mean, it was just, the pricing was just nuts. I, I could not believe it. Anyway, all right, so that's pretty much it for projects that I've been doing. Let's jump to some like individual changes and additions to the smart home. So I added a, a temperature sensor into my attic. And like I said, I've only been buying stuff that works with HomeBridge. So I researched Meros, and the Meros temperature sensor actually does allow you to connect through an add-in to HomeBridge. And I am now painfully aware that my attic gets to be about 110 degrees on a good day during the summer. And I'm trying to figure out basically what's the next thing that I'm going to do there. So we need to put some more ventilation in the attic because it's way, way, way too hot up there. Another thing that I did is um, I replaced my first-gen stick-up cam. I had bought the original stick-up cam when it came out. I think they were $200 at the time. They're now like $129 or $100 or something like that and much more durable, much more versatile in terms of battery because you can remove the battery or you can connect power or you can charge the battery. It's just really good cameras now, and I replaced them. Are you running it on battery or are you running it powered? I ended up buying the battery one and then buying the power adapter separately just because of what was on sale at the time. Okay. And Makes sense. I'm running them powered. Yeah. And even the power solution is a lot better now too. I think it's just like a USB cable or something. Yeah. They also sell a little battery charger too. So you can get, if you want to run it battery powered, you can get spare batteries and then just keep one always charging. We can visit that more when we talk about my house. We should totally do that because I have some of those batteries. I love that they have that. That's, that's a great thing. Also, um, while I was away this last time in April, I realized that it wasn't possible for me to remotely change the settings on my outdoor twinkly lights. These are the programmable outdoor lights typically for Christmas, but good for pretty much any time of year that you want something fun going on. I have them on my deck railing. And when I left in April, I think they had them on, you know, like Easter colors, like yellow and blue and pink and green and stuff like that. And I didn't come back until the middle of May, which was not what I was originally planning. But when that got delayed, I thought, oh, it'd be cool to maybe change the colors to, uh, I don't know, like blue and yellow for May Day. And then maybe do something for uh, Cinco de Mayo. But turns out you can't actually change the lights unless you're there. So they have this app. And the app connects to Wi-Fi, and the bulbs connect to Wi-Fi, but you have to have a local connection to actually change it. I don't understand. I mean, as a manufacturer, remote connection is hard, and you know, there's a lot of cloud infrastructure that goes into being able to do something like that. It's also it can be a security thing. 
but yeah, unfortunate that you couldn't do that. I, I love that you're using these year round though. I mean, they're fairly expensive. So I like that in terms of not only deploying them in a way that they don't look like Christmas lights other times of the year, but also, you know, finding ways to use them throughout the year. Yeah, totally. And, you know, just summertime, they're great as just white lights around the edge, too. So I think they're very versatile. I feel like I have gotten my half price $100 value out of this product after using it for well over a year now. Not that I'm suggesting they should die now, but it's a good product. I recommend it. And then finally, the biggest individual change that I made was that I gave up on my Tavala oven. Wah, wah, wah. I know. And I traded it in for a June oven. So now we need a happy sound effect. Da da da. Yeah. So I'm pretty psyched about the June oven. I think the June oven is a really good product. I see that they've made improvements even in the time that I've owned it. And Overall, I'm fairly pleased. It isn't everything that I want it to be. And the biggest thing that it isn't is paired with a meal kit service. That's the way that Tavala was. And I guess remind me and and the listeners, I know you used that Tavala service early on. You know, eventually, did you kind of give up on using their food? And does that just kind of totally change the usefulness of their oven? So... Yes and yes. So I had the Tavala food subscriptions from the beginning. It was the best part of that product. The food was amazing. When the pandemic started, I thought it might be a good idea not to be spending $12 a meal on my lunches every day. And so I did cancel that service. And we continued to use the Tavala throughout the year. And it worked Fairly well. It was starting to, you know, the fans were whirring louder and it was dying out in a cycle more often than it used to. Like one of the problems with the first generation Tavalas is that when they got too hot, they would simply error out and stop working until they cooled down again. Well, it's an oven, it should get hot. That's what it's designed to do. It's kind of a key feature. <laughs> so <laughs> it it got to a point where just as a second oven, it wasn't really carrying its weight. And June at the end, or I guess it was really about mid-fall last year, June came out with their third generation oven and some good pricing on that. So I updated to that and I'm really happy. I, I'm, I think they've done a good job with it. We can visit revisit the other side of this conversation when we do mine, because we may have an oven in our home now, too. Interesting. Interesting. So, Richard, I know this year you also acquired a new property, and we could probably do a whole separate episode on smart second homes, but let's at least talk a little bit about what you did do uh, so far to that new place that you bought. Yeah, that's a good idea. Now, I've been doing this very slowly and very strategically because this is a brand new home. 
And I want a way of not just being able to control it in a way that's smart, but to monitor it. More important to me as a homeowner who's not there most of the time and it's rented most of the time is to be able to monitor things and make sure that stuff is working properly. So one of the first things that I purchased and I worked with the AC vendor that installed the HVAC system is Nest Thermostats. And man, they fought me on that. The rental company fought me. The builder fought me. The AC vendor fought me. Oh, you know, these are, these are problematic when you have a smart thermostat because the, the renters don't know how to use them. And if anything goes wrong, how, what, how are we going to service it? They're Nest thermostats. All you got to do is turn the thing. I mean, I, I don't think that this is the big problem that all these companies think it is. And every time I talk to people with rentals, they're like, oh, yeah, get a nest. Totally. They're, that's exactly what you want for it. Yeah, I've had the same experience with HVAC guys before, too, where, you know, they're very, I don't know. They they just don't like it. They They like things that they understand fully and can, like, fully get around. So this tech stuff that they can't fully control doesn't, they don't like it. So I get that, but I think, you know, how many years have Nest thermostats existed? More than 15, more than 15, you know, people know how to use them. Now you turn the dial, the temperature goes up. (laughs) I, I think where that could be not great in a rental property. And I feel like I've stayed in an Airbnb or something that have had this is where they use it to lock the thermostat and you can't change it. That's not a very good rental experience. So I think as long as you're not oppressive with your thermostat controls and you let people set their own comfort, that should be part of the deal. Yeah, I I agree. I think one thing that I am considering is that when you're full on in a season, for example, we're full summer now, so nobody should be putting the heat on. I might do something like lock the temperature range to, you know, a reasonable temperature range, like 60 to 80 or something like that. You know, I think if anybody's putting the air conditioning under 60, they're probably causing more damage to the air conditioner than they are comfort to themselves. True. Yeah. I think to the extent at which, you know, you want to maintain your property, you want to make sure people don't mess things up. Totally makes sense. And you should be having an HVAC person out between seasons anyways. So that would be a reason not to just let people, you know, turn on the heat, you know, willy nilly. So. Right. Right. Makes sense to me. Now, interestingly, I found it difficult to connect to these things. I was actually on site a week and a half ago and was able to get two of them connected to the internet, but only connect two out of three. So there's one that I still can't talk to. Huh. And I don't quite understand why. The other two set up and on my network and on my app, but I can't get that third one and I need to figure out what's going on with that. So that's going to be a troubleshooting project for this fall when I'm down there again. Okay, that makes sense. Oh, by the way, I figured out a how do we service this problem or answer as well. When Nesty thermostats were 
kind of taken off the regular market, you could occasionally find them discounted. And so I just bought two spares. <laughs> there you go. Wi-Fi wise, what are you what are you using for Wi-Fi in the rental place? Uh, spectrum homegrown Wi-Fi stuff. Well, there's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I haven't had a chance to mess with any of that yet. Yeah, I think I think worth noting, you know, you had a pretty small time frame with which to do these kinds of projects. Um, we're not talking like Richard spent months at this property, you know, with access to do all these things. So you had a pretty short window and you had to focus on critical path items only. Right. That's that's exactly right. I, I had months in the town where the house was, but literally single digit hours in the house itself. So, yeah. Another thing, interestingly, is that the house comes with connected washers and dryers. And I think the reason for that is that they wanted to get good, high capacity washers and dryers. And we're now getting to that tipping point where... These things are just connected. Yeah, I would say I, that makes sense to me. At, at a certain point, you know, it, it should just be an expectation on a certain tier of device. And, you know, I haven't bought large appliances in a couple of years now, but I'm sure you can still get unconnected washers and dryers, but they're going to be very low end. And obviously the, the consumer has the option to connect it or not. So if you want an unconnected washer dryer, just stop in the manual when it gets to that step. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So I thought that was a little weird, but then when I thought about it, I'm like, yeah, okay. I guess that makes sense. Now I have purchased some other stuff that I have not yet installed. I have purchased some leak sensors from Flow, uh, which is the uh, company now, I think, owned by, if not partnered with Moen. I believe it's more partnered with, but yeah, they're a large investor and they co-brand things. I don't know. I, I once met somebody there and I was like, congrats on being acquired by Moen. And they had a very harsh response. Like, we were not acquired. <laughs> we're a partner. I'm like, oh, okay, sorry. Either way, congrats. It's good stuff, right? You have a nice big name behind you. So I'll talk about flow a little bit more, but uh, I've purchased a bunch of sensors for the house there for critical areas like where the HVAC is and where the water heaters are and stuff like that. And then I've, I've purchased a couple of different options for smart switches, but I intentionally have not installed any of them. A, time. B, I don't want to go doing electrical work at this house and then leave it for months. So I'm going to wait until I'm actually there for a longer period of time, which again will be in the fall after the rental season is largely ended. And then I'll figure out what the ultimate solution is there. My biggest thing is that, <laughs> you know, brand new house, brand new build, chandeliers, ceiling, high hats, not a dimmer on anything, nothing. And you weren't given options when they were actually building to do any of this? Well, this wasn't a custom build. We ended up buying a property right before it was completed, but it was not a custom build. Okay. Yeah, because I, I mean, I think that's always the question for me, and we can talk about this a bit when we do mine, but I kind of go back and forth on whether or not you want to make those decisions 
when you're doing construction and have the electrician put it in? Or do you really want to wait and make sure you put them in the right places and things like that later? So, but yeah, when you do you know, actually spend some time there and do a bunch of these projects, maybe we can do a whole episode on, you know, remote property, you know, type stuff and, and talk about all the things you do out there. Yeah, we should definitely do that because I also have some really good input from listeners of my other show that helped shape some of the decisions that I'm making. So I look forward to doing that. Okay. Well, now we'll take a brief break. And when we return, we're going to talk more about some of the products that Richard has been testing throughout the last year. Everyone says that starting a podcast is easy. But let me tell you, making a podcast is hard work. That's where today's sponsor, Lightning Pod, comes in. If you have a podcast or you want to start one, then you should check them out. They can help you with every step of the podcast production process. We've been working with Lightning Pod founder, Eric Johnson, for more than a year, and he's really helped us take the Smart Home Show to the next level. Eric currently helps us with editing and copywriting, but he's also available to help your podcast with recording, monetization, website design, and more. Learn more at lightningpod.fm. All experience levels are welcome. So whether you're a veteran podcaster or a total newbie, you should check them out. That's lightningpod.fm. All right. So I know that I have been a fan of the Oro Switch product for quite a long time. And I have been testing one of their products. They sent me a test unit to try out. And I talked about this being one of the things that I would be testing this year. And we've talked about it over the course of this past year because I did install it. I thought the installation process itself was amazing. They really thought about what you need to have in the box. The switch itself does not require or does not have pigtails. You can just use like the screw in sockets with your existing wires. But if you need it, they also included color coded pigtails, which is really nice that you could just insert in and then use with your wire nuts. If I remember correctly, I think they also included a special wire nut in with it. I'm not 100% sure about that because it's been a while. I think they do. Yeah, because I have I have one of these too. And yeah, they it's definitely a high-end device and they put a lot of fancy things in there. Yeah, I think they're the ones that have their, they're like the, I forget what they're called, but they're like fancy little terminals you put both wires in. Yes. I was really pleased with how they had that set up and you can install it on a three-way circuit as well with a regular switch. The trick is that I think you have to have it closest to the regular switch or sorry, closest to the load, closest to the fixture that you're controlling in that three-way circuit. And I was able to do that. And so, you know, one device instead of two devices, which is really nice. And that's what most smart switch solutions would require is to have two either of the same SKU or different SKUs on your three-way circuit. So over the time that I've been testing it, they've continued to update it with improvements and additions. They just recently added the ability to control third-party lights, specifically hue lights from the scenes that are 
on the device itself. So you can set scenes and they have scene buttons. And if that's your primary control pad or you can swipe over to that one, that can now not only just control what that switch controls, but control other hue lights that you have maybe in the room or in the house, which is really nice. It doesn't go far enough. I was going to say, does it do color yet? No, no, it doesn't go far enough. So, right. I'm really disappointed by that because once they add color to that, that's going to be a big deal. Or just the ability to include not just maybe controlling individual lights, but have your scene control a hue scene, like trigger a hue scene. Yep. We can talk about We'll have an, a separate Oro switch section when we talk about my house. But yeah, <laughs> I, I, I largely agree with you. I think it's expensive. I couldn't see putting these throughout a home. But if you can find the right use case, it's good. I don't like buying things based on future potential. But right. I would say this device still has a lot of potential. It, it does still have a lot of potential, and they have delivered on their promise. And that's something that you can't say about all vendors. Now, as part of that, and using that as their rationale, I might use the word excuse, but they announced at the beginning of last month that they were upping their price significantly. This was a $200 light switch. It's now a $300 Dang. light switch. Dang. That, I mean, that to me, it was already too expensive. I guess for those that aren't as close to the industry, though, I can understand it. You know, the prices of everything are going up. Components, etc. Shipping pricing is ridiculous right now. So it's not a fun time to be on the consumer side of this. Just know it's not a fun time to be on the manufacturing side of this either. And so I get it, but man, that that's rough. It's a rough thing if you're looking at this as a DIY product. And I think that's probably what... Not that we're missing, but I think what they're thinking is that they likely have a better opportunity working with dealers, working with installers, working with builders. And that pricing is not out of line for, say, like I have in my kitchen, it being a control unit in your kitchen or something like that, right? Yeah, I think it makes more sense thinking of it more as a control hub in a key room than something you would do every light switch with. And obviously the more features and control and compatibility they add to it, the more they will be able to sell that story. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. In terms of HomeKit though, are they still, I know they promised HomeKit a while ago, I don't keep as close to their updates as you probably do. Is it, is it HomeKit yet? They have not delivered on HomeKit yet. As far as I know, that is still on their roadmap. I thought, oh, you know what? Since I'm using this to control Hue lights, maybe I can just set these lights to use Apple's new adaptive lighting. 
So I tried the HomeKit adaptive lighting on these lights and it worked. It worked great. The problem is I hate Apple's algorithm. They're just, in my opinion, way too blue and white too late in the day. And I'd much rather see them start to get more like 3,000 by midday, but they're still at that 4,000 office-style lighting thing, which may work in an office and just doesn't in a kitchen or in other areas of the home for my uses. So I ended up just going back to the same old set of eight different HomeKit automations that we've talked about before that Matt Corey documented in his blog, and I continue to stick by and use those. Okay. So it works. To get that combined with the Oro switch, which handles dimming and handles them coming on and going off and uh, the sensors on the switch are fantastic in terms of determining whether someone's in the room or still in the room because it's also listening for sound not just looking for presence with motion it's slick it's a it's a slick device i'm very happy with it but there's that price that you're going to have to just come to terms with if this is something that you want i mentioned that i was going to be testing my smart roller shades and I did test my smart roller shades and came to the conclusion that I did not like them. They're great shades. They operate quietly. And actually, this is not a, it can be a shade solution, but I bought the retrofit kit. And I didn't even buy it. It was sent to me as a review unit. So testing this retrofit kit in a shade that I had worked great. But the problem is, it's Bluetooth. It only works through their app. And if you want integration with Google or with Amazon, you have to have their bridge. I thought, no problem. I already have their bridge because I have MySmart Blinds. I've been promoting MySmart Blinds from day one. I love this company. Nope. You have to buy a separate bridge for the shades than for the blinds. It's the same piece of hardware, but you have to have a separate one if you have both types of... What? 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 How did you architect this thing that that is required? And it's a $90 Bluetooth bridge. Ouch. Yeah. So, no. Just no. Now... That said, I did end up buying one of the new bridges. I bought one of the new bridges because it says, oh, these are much better than the old version of the bridge. It covers better distance. They're more reliable, blah, blah, blah. So I bought a new version of that. Paid for this. Still can't control the blinds in the room across the hall. Only the room that it's in. So... I continue to not recommend their bridge product. Buy MySmart Blinds, the blinds, because they're great and they have memory on board and they interact based on the heat and the time of day and the settings that you have put on the blinds through your Bluetooth connection from your phone. Don't rely on this being a part of your controlled smart home, though. 
because it's just it's not reliable. It's just it's expensive and it's not a good bridge product. That's a bummer. It is a bummer. That's like the weak link in this whole thing. So very frustrating. All right. Two more things. I've been testing the Abode IOTA, also a test unit that they sent me. And that is monitoring my basement. So I always worry about things like floods. What happens if the boiler or the water thing or one of the other things leaks? And sure enough, I had an opportunity to use this because I have a flow leak sensor that I'll talk about in a little bit down next to my water chemical tank and my water chemical tank was leaking. And I was getting notices that something's wet down here. Okay, I'm not home. Of course, only happens when I'm not home. So I was able to bring up my IOTA camera, look and see what's going on, and I could see stuff spraying out of the chemical tank. It was actually the mixer. Like, while it's mixing and and pumping the chemical into the line, it wasn't pumping the chemical into the line. It was spraying the chemical out into the room. So that was problematic, but nice to have that area monitored. I'm probably not using the IOTA the way people intended it to be using. This is a... Uh, an all-in-one security unit that would be great for something like an apartment or a, a large space in a home. It's been very reliable for me. I've been very happy with it. It's the camera is responsive. It coordinates with or it works with HomeKit, so it shows up as a HomeKit camera, which is great. Their devices also show up as HomeKit devices, so that's great. But I don't like their software, so I'm glad that it works with HomeKit. <laughs> They've even redesigned their software, and I just don't think they it's a good experience. So yay, HomeKit! And then I want to mention two other things. I said that that, that, that was my close to my last thing. Two other things I want to talk about. So I tested the Philips Smart Button. This is a little round, like, coin cell-sized it's that size for a reason. It uses a coin cell battery, a little button, and it's magnetic or it has sticky tape on it, however you want to use it. Uh, this is great. There's a finally a nice quick way to control some hue lighting with something that doesn't look, you know, like I don't like their dimmer. It looks cheap. I don't like that round thing they created. I, I just, it, it's too weird. This is nice and discreet. This is something that doesn't require a light switch or anything like this. This is going to be put anywhere. So if you want something that goes over a light switch, you use my favorite Lutron uh, gizmo that works with Hue. Um, yep, yep. But this is more of a standalone solution. Right. Yeah, exactly. And I think for that, it works well if you have specific use cases in mind. It can do two things. It can either trigger a light to go on or a scene to go on based on pressing the button once or I think there's a long press as well. So you have different actions that you can do. You could also 
have one of those actions, I believe, turn the light off. But it can't toggle. You can cycle through things. Like it has four different steps that you can fill in with. Okay, when I press it once, it's going to do this. Second time, it's going to do this. Third time, it's going to do this. Why can't I just have a cycle of two on and off? That would make the most sense to me. So I ultimately ended up not using this in the use case that I had intended it for because that is something that I can remember, but that's just going to like piss off Edward. Couldn't you just have like two on and two off cycles so they could be on, off, on, off? That would get you your two. It would still be four, but they would just go on and off. Yeah, so I need to check if it was an even or odd number of things you could cycle through. That works if it is, in fact, four. If it's five, then you have another one that's just kind of, oh, yeah, that fifth time, it just doesn't do anything. Again, <laughs> pissing Edward off, right? So not, yeah, not excited about that. And then I am going to mention finally, finally, in terms of things that I've tested, I mentioned this before when we did our end of year show, the U Connect by Moen Smart Faucet. I think it's U Connect. Maybe it's just Connect by Moen. I don't know. It's a weird name. I think it's U Connect. I think it's U by Moen. U by Moen. Okay. U by Moen. It's still a weird. Anyway, it is great. I love it. I think it's incredibly convenient. I want them to improve it, though. Like, there's some quirks about it. Sometimes it's actually slow to turn the water on when you use the physical handle, as opposed to waving your hand over it. You wave your hand over it, and it seems like it comes on instantaneously, sometimes too easily. Yes. When you crank the handle, there's like this delay. It should go on right away when you move that handle. And... That's something that I really want to see them improve. And they could. It's off firmware. So hopefully that's on the agenda at some point. And I also want them to update the skills. Amazon and Google now, as far as I'm aware, both have the capability and the vocabulary to support plumbing commands. Like turn on and turn off the faucet or or, or, you know, whatever the vernacular is, I believe they're both now available in those two ecosystems. And they're not using it anywhere. Also, still not supported in HomeKit. And that's another thing that's missing. So I love this product from a physical perspective. I want them to improve the software. Yeah, makes sense. Again, we'll, uh, we'll do our own section on this when uh, we talk about my home. Because I have one of these two. I, I mentioned the flow by Moen. That, you know, I'm not listing that in the list of things that I'm testing yet. I don't have the the valve. I just have the leak sensors. They sent me a pack of sensors to test. That is how I detected that I had a leak in the basement. So I can tell you they work. I did have some problems initially where they were not connecting to our. Uh, or staying connected to our network, but that seemed to work itself out over time. And I'm very glad that I have these, but I'm not giving a full review yet. This is what I'm looking at as stuff that I'm still testing this year 
because I want to give them, you know, a good full run before I report back on my thoughts on these. And then also I have ordered, but haven't yet received the C by GE now known as sync with a C and a Y and another C the sync light strip. This is their direct connect version of the strip. So they came out with originally products that were Bluetooth based and then certain wired products would have only a Wi-Fi connection. And this is a wired product, but it also includes Bluetooth. So, and, and it, it also, so you can connect these directly to your network, or you can control them from your other C by GE devices. And I'm looking forward to testing them because GE makes good lighting products. And I'm actually planning on having them on home on in a little while to talk more about their move to this new branding. Awesome. So that is what I have been up to and what I plan to be looking at in my smart home. A lot of stuff. I was home a lot <laughs> last year. You know, I I feel like uh, I feel a little embarrassed based on uh, what we're going to revisit in my section. When Richard and I were planning this episode, I sort of joked we can talk about all the products I've bought but haven't done anything with. Um, <laughs> some of which were on your list, so you know, uh, I either that or I have some work to do before we record my episode. So. We'll see which one that ends up being. Yeah. All right. Well, let's work our way toward closing. But before we do that, we have a question from a listener on Twitter. Tech with Beck asks, can you explain Google's privacy features on smart home devices for those who don't trust Google? And then I don't know if we're prepared to answer this part or not, but also planning on starting my own podcast myself called The Smart Designer. Any suggestions before I start? All right. So the first suggestion here would be to go take a read of safety.google.com and weigh how you feel after that. Basically, here are some of the things they talk about there. They talk about how Google Nest speakers wait for activation. So this means they're not always listening. They're waiting for that wake word before they're processing commands. But Adam, how do they hear the wake word if they're not always listening? Well, they're always listening, but they're always (laughs) listening for the wake word. But you and I both know devices mishear the wake word all the time. Yeah. And when that happens, then stuff goes to the cloud, which brings us to the next point. They no longer retain audio recordings by default. Why? Why do? Why don't they retain audio recordings anymore, Richard? Uh, I think it was because someone found out that uh, they did, and the world freaked out. Yeah, because they got caught. Because there was major <laughs> whiplash in the industry because everybody found out that these folks were all retaining audio recordings and so now because of course they are because that's how you make the system better by analyzing what it heard and what it did yeah so there is an option still if you want to send your audio recordings either if you're troubleshooting something or if you just want to make the system better they'll gladly take them Um, but it's off by default 
I learned when reading about this that uh, you can, there are privacy controls. And so you can say, hey, G, delete what I said this week. So you can actually give a command that requires you to remember to do that. So, <laughs> right. I mean, I guess it's only as good as you remembering to do that. So, But you can also do that in the app. In the app, you can also delete your history. Yes. If you can find anything in the home <laughs> app. Yes. Uh, and they also have a guest mode. So if you're going to have guests, let's say you have a, uh, a Nest home speaker in a guest room or an area of the house, and you don't want the personalized experience that comes with assistant devices, you can put uh, those devices into guest mode. Um, so a nice feature if you remember to do that. That's very nice. At the end of the day, I would put Google in the middle of the privacy spectrum. For me, I trust Apple the most. They design with privacy in mind. They're constantly talking about it. To me, they're the industry leader here. And I always talk about, you know, they really went to bat with the FBI over unlocking somebody's phone. Mm -hmm. That's a whole political debate, but... To me, that says privacy, very important to them and, and not something they take lightly. At the other side of the spectrum, I put Facebook, which I trust the least. <laughs> you could not pay me enough money to put a Facebook talking speaker in my home. No portals in your house. Huh? No. And I would put Google somewhere in the middle of this spectrum. I think it's important to remember when a service like the assistant is free, you are the product in some way. I guess with the hardware, you're buying their speaker. So maybe that's somewhere in the middle. I do feel like Google is following Apple's lead on privacy these days. That's kind of where they see the wind is blowing. And that's a good thing. But in some ways, I interpret their actions as just finding more sophisticated ways to sell you ads that look better when it comes to privacy. But let's talk about why I really don't like using Google devices, hmm. which is just their garbage wake word. I feel like <laughs> saying, hey, G, is like a mouthful of marbles. It is the worst wake word of all of them. Actually, okay, yeah. and then yeah. is even worse. Yeah, they're both they're both awful. So I feel like that's the thing that ha they have going for them the least. But you know, I guess read and take some of those things into consideration before going all in. Uh, we could talk briefly about the podcast section of the question. All right, I love it, and I think uh, I really want to encourage this individual. Go for it. My biggest recommendation is just start. Just start making content. Be consistent. Commit to doing it for six months. And set an episode goal for yourself. In six months, I want to do X number of episodes. Some of this, you know, Richard and I will say, do as we say, not as we do. We're not super <laughs> consistent. But we got busy lives and other things going on. And especially when you're getting started, I would say it's more important to be consistent. I'd also suggest finding a repeatable format. Steal ideas from, from some of your favorite shows, but make them uniquely yours. There are things in this show 
that, you know, are, were inspired by shows that I listen to and having a structure, you know, and, and things we do like the episode we just recorded, you know, have, have some of these tent pole things you do every year, um, that are repeatable and find your rhythm with it and then just keep going. I have one thing I'm going to add to your list. I love all of your suggestions, but this is the scrum master in me. Always be working to try to improve your podcasting and your show. Don't just get stuck in a rut. Allow yourself to explore new things. Allow yourself to grow in your ability to podcast. And I think one of the best ways to do that, and I know that the vast majority of podcasters do not do this, is listen to your own show. Every episode, listen to your show, find the things that as you're hearing it, you don't like and work to correct those and improve those over time. And that doesn't mean I don't like my voice because nobody likes what their voice sounds like when they hear themselves back at first. You get over it. Very true. Yeah. And I'll say don't get too wrapped up. This is another like do as I say, not as I do. Don't get too wrapped up in the gear and the needs and things like that. Just find a reasonable mic to get yourself started and make sure you're into it and it's working before, you know, going all in on some of that. And those are things you can change and evolve over time, too. So just get started with whatever you have or whatever you can get fairly cheap. All right. Sounds good. So if you have a smart home question, keep sending those our way. Uh, and thank you to those who have uh, sent those in using the hashtag Ask Smart Home Show on Twitter. And we'll try to pick one every episode. All right. Another long one. It's because I had so much to talk about. Sorry. I think next week's going to be a little bit shorter, maybe? Should be. All right. Well, in the meantime, Adam, where can people find you? You can find me on Twitter at Adam Justice and everything my company is doing in the smart home world at ConnectSense.com. How about you, Richard? You can find me at the digitalmediazone.com and on Twitter at Richard Gunther. And this show is part of Technology.fm, which is a great collection of tech-focused podcasts that includes the Home Tech FM show, the Food Tech show, and my other show that really isn't gone. It isn't gone. It's coming back. Home on. And finally, if uh, you want to find out more about the show, get our show notes, send us feedback, go to smarthome.fm, and you can send us feedback at feedback at smarthome.fm. And of course, you can find the show wherever you find your podcasts, Apple, Google, Overcast, do us a favor, leave us a review if you like it, and tell a friend. That's going to be it for the show. Thanks for joining. Thanks for listening. <laughs>